On this episode, we reminisce with our thoughts on our favorite gaming consoles. Rob McCallum has an interview with Joe Amato about action figures. And Sal from Mario Party Wars stops by and gives us the latest on why board gaming is back and what are the best board games out there. All this and more as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we are back once again, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford, once again from Game Source and Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm here with my good friend, also from Pop Culture Cosmos, and the world's greatest gaming store, <laughs> and also growing collectible store as well. Retro City Games, right here in Henderson, Nevada. It is Douglas Hoyabu. How are you doing? All right. I'm doing well, and I know everybody out there is doing better now that we're part of the pop culture cosmos scene. Uh, We've got a lot of great things for you today. I'm going to be talking about gaming consoles here in a second, but I want to also give a shout-out. If you do not know already, we are available Monday nights, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network, we appreciate everyone who's actually already gotten a chance to use the TuneIn app or their uh, CryCray app to get the Podcast Radio Network. Uh, if you have any questions, just go head over to Pop Culture Cosmos or as well the actual Podcast Radio Network Facebook pages, and they can tell you exactly how to get Pop Culture Cosmos on the Podcast Radio Network. If you are unable to do that, we also are available on iTunes, on the Pop Culture Cosmos iTunes channel, and also as well the Pop Culture Cosmos podcast.com channel. So there's lots of ways to get us and you know find out exactly more about what's going on. But also as well, our new site has popped up as well. That is popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So we are now part of the WordPress scene. There's already about... Uh, uh, two dozen stories up there, including one that I detailed <laughs> on this door right here. Hope you get a chance to read it. Uh, a lot of great things going on as far as it's concerned. I know uh, Josh, my good friend Josh, uh, he's going to be adding to his Peterson files. And also, I did want to make a mention that podcast available, Wine, Women, and Words with uh, Diana and Michelle. Uh, Michelle, our editor-in-chief, she actually has her own podcast, Wine, Women, and Words. If you are really into books... Uh, as far as uh, what's going on in the book scene, as far as uh, characters, as far as great books, and books that you need to read, and books that you like reading, that you like hearing more about, you want to check out Wine, Women, and Words. It's a great podcast. It's available on the Wine, Women, and Words YouTube channel, and also as well on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. wanted to talk to you about today something that's near and dear to your heart, your favorite memories about your favorite gaming console ever? My favorite console. Um, I know there's been plenty, <laughs> and I know the choices are, you know, in abundance. It, it narrows down to two for me. Um, the first of which, um, being the Super Nintendo, it was the first console and only console I had uh, mm-hmm. growing up um, until the release of what I would consider my favorite console, uh, the PlayStation Two. Why is that? It's it's the games. There there's is such an abundance of quality games on that system. Um, there's over eighteen hundred games in the library. Um, that's just the U.S. releases. And I, I feel 
it's really hard to find bad games on there. If you're in the mood for sports, it had some of the best sports games of that era. If you're in the mood for RPGs, it had the best RPGs of that era. It had the best action games. I mean, some of my, some of my favorite series started on there. The Onimusha series. Um, some sequels like Crash Bandicoot. Um, the Killzone series. All those things are, are, are games that I still play those series today, and it all had its roots on the, on the PlayStation 2. So I, PS2 would have to be my favorite. I mean, what, what would you consider your favorite? That is a good question. Uh, I... When I first sent that to you, as far as what mm-hmm. what the topics would be for the for the episode, I thought at length what for me because I've had Pong because um, mm-hmm. because my age I've, I've lived with Pong. I lived with the Atari twenty six hundred era. I lived with you know everything from ColecoVision. Uh, I had that. Uh, you know, even the, it, delving into PCs, early PCs with Apple and Commodore. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, likewise. Even now, I, I own over thirty sit down consoles. And I, if you include handhelds, over 50 consoles. I mean, so I, 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 get, I, get, well, I get the... Uh, <laughs> all the way up to the PS4, the PS Vita, the Xbox One. But to have to target one, I'd probably say the original Xbox. Really? Yes. Um, I know it did not have the 1800 games library <laughs> that, that the PlayStation 2 did. Um, no, it did not have the best of this, the best of that, the best, best of as far as it's concerned when you consider an overall factor... But it had certain games that I felt connected with me uh, when you consider, obviously it starts with the Halo series from there, um, their marquee franchise, the thing that will probably be most known for, oh, yeah. um, the advent of Xbox, Xbox Live and the fact that it was really truly the first, it wasn't, no, it wasn't the first console that actually introduced online gaming, but it was really just the, probably the first one that really embraced it. The first one that did it right. Yeah. I mean, first the first one that really took all those elements that needed to be there for, you know, an experience of playing games, you know, with someone else when they're not sitting there with you. Exactly. The, the chat system, the, even incorporating video early on in the 360s life. And towards the end of the Xbox, they had a little bit of it, but... Well, I think a lot of today's online experiences can trace its roots back to the original Xbox yeah. and Xbox Live. Um, that that for me is probably the what you know I would have to say it's probably the best for me I Nintendo 64 obviously a great system with a great library and catalog itself um, there's obviously the systems to today the PlayStation 4 and Xbox one which are which are really quality systems and and now getting a library that's really starting to, to make its own niche um, the Xbox 360 and ps3 with you know, depending on who you speak to, both had their ups and downs as far as not not only with sales but also with uh, their library as well. Um, from a masterful storytelling and variant standpoint, the PS3 and 360 obviously, you know, probably have hit and hit a very high end as far as the gaming consoles concerned. Yeah. But I'd probably say the original Xbox for me. I, I um, guess I could throw in the, the the Vita into that conversation as well. But I kind of disconnect the. I don't know why in my head there's. It's really this new generation that I've kind of separated. I don't know the... To me, the PS3 360 kind of was aligned to me. I don't know. Where it it feels like this whole generation, for the most part, is more about um, pushing visuals, pushing, you know, realism and everything. And the PS3 and 360 try to do that, but the, the 1 and the 4 really, really, really try to push that, that realism in shooters. I, not that games don't have that... Well, they're not fun, but they don't have that that quirkiness and weirdness to them. As a, you know, as a whole industry trying to achieve that and, and, anymore, I don't and know. That, it's that leads to a bigger question: Has the video games, for, you know, because now the technological advances and the graphics are, are at a, a high premium, and 
and you know the fact that they can pretty much I don't want to say they can do everything uh, when it comes to it within the confines of a video game but they can do so much now more than they could in the past it's the simple ambiance of the actual video game is gone is the the uh, nuance and as far as the the actual simple storytelling sometimes of, of, of video games as a whole is has that gone away uh, the the charmed experiences you must have had in the 90s and the early 2000s where uh, I, as myself as well the late 80s early 90s uh, as far as from a storytelling you know from a storytelling standpoint as well um, is, is that something that that's missing now in our days and age of, of video games I don't know if it's completely missing but it's definitely pushed to the the back burner I mean my favorite Xbox one game um, is uh, Ori in the Blind Forest I but you talk to half the people out there and they've maybe heard the name but haven't played it and it, it's it's one of those and, games and some who haven't played who did play it you know stressed its its uh, difficulty level as far oh, as is concerned it's it's difficult but it's it, it harkens back to that that older style of gameplay it's extremely story driven um, but it also doesn't hand the story to you either you have to figure things out you have to go and explore that 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 forest you have to go and explore that world um, games like I don't know it's it, go back to Halo on the original Xbox yes ha- Halo 2 even the multiplayer uh, between Halo 2 and Modern Warfare 2 are probably my most played games well Halo 2 to me and that's another reason why I like the original Xbox as my choice is because Halo 2 I think um, along with you know the Xbox itself you know are pretty much categorizing what online gaming is all about that game as far as concerned set the standard for what multiplayer gaming should and is now in this days and days and age and I agree completely I, I put uh, well over a thousand hours into that game, I could say complete, probably close to two thousand in that multiplayer. My friends, I know you're straight. It was it was a it was a land party every weekend, either my house or my friends' houses. Every weekend, it was just playing online and just playing the heck out of that game. Halo, from a storytelling standpoint, was outstanding. Oh, and uh, the, the, fir- the first two games, story wise, to me are, are brilliant. Halo Two, from a uh, multiplayer standpoint, uh, at, you know, at that point in time, there was no equal. And, uh, of course, the Halo series is still very strong um, as but, far as it's concerned, but it's not as much as it, as it once was. And that's what I was getting to. The games that I'm supposed to be excited for, you know, the big franchises like the Halos and the Gears, I, I've put more time into Ori than I have any other game on the Xbox One combined. Do you think it's because of age or taste of change? I, uh, maybe your, your, no, your fatigue I, on, on series? I still love shooters. I still love all that. I just feel like when we have this push for realism... You start to have games kind of all fall into the same, you know, feel. I mean, there's, it's, I mean, even you know, Grand Theft Auto is real, but it pull, it, it has a silliness, has a quirkiness to it. I think that's why so many people are drawn to it. That's why so when, many still continue to play is because they are looking for that element. Exactly. I mean, uh, the the Saints Row series can be said the same. There's a realistic world there, but it's it's not realistic at all. And I think that's why people play games. It's to escape reality. So when Modern Warfare and Gears and Halo are starting to push more towards that that gritty real feel. It kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. It, it kind of um, distanced me as a player because I feel like I've played it before. Exactly, and I, I totally can understand that. What are some of the games from, you know, as far as from a specific standpoint that that you have the most fondest memories that helped create your decision as far as the best gaming console ever? Um, I'll, I'll start with that 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 second one that I said, the Super Nintendo, because um, it's really hard for me to, to separate the two. It really is. Um, PS2 ed- edges out barely. Um, it was Super Mario World. That was the first game I played, and that was the only game I had for quite a long time. Mm. So exploring that world and finding secrets, secrets kind of blew me away. 
And then um, a link to the past. A link to the past is hands down my favorite game. Um, the fact when you when you first walk out of um, your uncle's house and you go do the uh, you go into the the you know basement of the uh, the castle. When you first come out of that castle, or not the castle, you come out of the sanctuary because of the tunnel. You come out of the sanctuary and you go, all right, go wherever you want. My mind was blown. <laughs> My, my and, mind was, I can do whatever I want and go wherever I want. That, and, and you always remember that first experience when, uh, like I said, I, I'm old enough to have you know, bought and played the original Pong. And when my father hooked it up at the first time and, and turned on and there's this blip, 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 you know, mind you, it's very simplistic today. And my, I, most, most people out there are probably laughing. But for me at that point in time, uh, late 70s, whatnot, it was just... You know, mind blowing that that something I could be doing and interacting on the screen was up like that. So I, I get that entirely, and it's, and you always want to recapture that feeling in some form or fashion, even if you can't do it entirely like you, like it was once before. Uh, yeah, and I, the when when you got to the PS2, that that world's just got those worlds got bigger, and even the the first game I got because my parents got it for me for Christmas, uh, the system. Um, and the only game they could find for it was a Tekken Tech. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really played a 2D fighter more than for, you know, 10, 15 minutes at my cousin's house. Um, and it was the first time I'm like, wow, this looks just like the arcade. And I could go back and forth between that. And looking back, the Dreamcast did the same thing. But of course. it was the first time I had that experience. Was there any real consoles that might have let you down from the entire library standpoint or from a system standpoint that, that didn't meet your expectations? Um... The N64. Actually. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I remember not playing that many games on it. I never owned one, but my best friend who lived like five doors down from me had one. But see, that's the so thing. Every the day. N- N64 for me was I played only a few select games. And that's the thing. And that's, for me, that and was enough. I, I look back, and it, it has a small library, um, but I feel the quality of that library is very poor. It, it really It's one of those I, systems that let me down later on when I started to go back, and I'm like, man, I never had one of these. I picked up the Mario Parties, your Mario Karts, you know, Mario you know, 64, the Donkey Kongs. The GoldenEye. Um, even even going back into playing um, Wave Race, which was, or not Wave Race, um, Wave Race excellent game. Yes. Uh, Hydro Thunder. Hydro Thunder, I put tons of hours into one of my favorite arcade games. I was like, man, this system can't handle it. I mean, the, the, the PlayStation port's better, but that's a horrible port of it. But, but it the, the Dreamcast plays it perfectly. But, but it didn't recreate that experience that you were hoping for. Not at all. I, I must have had um, those fanboy goggles on, you know what I mean? Or nostalgia goggles, just looking at it like, oh, man, I want this to be better than it really is. Some great console talk indeed. What is your favorite gaming console and why? There's plenty of places where you can share your opinion. We're going to start off with the Retro City Games Facebook page. You can start right there if you want to leave your opinion. Or try us as well on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. And, well, our home site, one of our home sites, Game Source. You know, that's been going on for, had that for a number of years now. We report on a lot of different uh, articles across the world on the gaming scene. You can always share your opinion there. But give us some love on any one of those pages, Retro City Games. Game Source or Pop Culture Cosmos on what is your favorite console and why. Because we'd love to hear from you and we actually will give you the feedback. If you go to Retro City Games, I will tell you, these uh, Nicole and Doug all day long, <laughs> and I know this from personal experience now, all day long answer your questions and answer your comments. We do our best. And they are tremendous indeed. If Again, if you're in the Las Vegas area, if you ever even, if you're here traveling, if you're here as a visitor, Come on down to, to Retro City Games. 
going to be celebrating their second year anniversary here coming up very shortly. And I just want to congratulate both you and Nicole again. This is going to actually this will act, part will actually be on the Pop Culture Cosmos radio show. So from a nationwide and worldwide audience, I want to say congratulations to both you and Nicole on your Thank second you. year anniversary. So I'm, I'm very, very happy for you. Um, any any that last thoughts, you know, as we're coming up on two years for you? Um, it's exciting. Uh, I mean, anybody who starts a business, you know, wants to succeed, but um, getting to do what you love every day, that's, that's a whole other thing. So, yeah, Nicole and I are just hoping for many more. Okay, even when you hear for the 30th time, I have a question on this game. And it's like, you know, I see that. No, it's all fine. Okay, good. Fair enough. Fair enough indeed. Uh, you guys are great out there, you guys and gals that, that go and support gaming entities like Retro City Games and us here at Pop Culture Cosmos and also Game Source as well. We truly appreciate your support. Up next, Rob McCallum and Joe Amato are talking action figures right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Coming up right after the break. Hi, everybody. I'm Yuki, and this is my game. Welcome to my Kickstarter. Hey, guys. Sarumaru here, the creator of Henshin Engine. Currently, Henshin Engine is a webcomic on the internet that I'm working on. We want to make it into a video game. Currently, we've gotten as far as three stages with this demo game, but we'd like to make it into a much bigger game. We're looking to make it into an eight-stage game. Um, but we need your help. Henshin Engine is a 2D side-scrolling platformer very reminiscent of what you would see in the 16-bit era. Games like Ninja Gaiden, Valis, Mega Man, it takes inspirations from many of these games. And if you're into retro games, then Henshin Engine is definitely the game for you. On top of having some really good game mechanics, Henshin Engine has excellent visuals, bright colors, a rockin' CD soundtrack, and gameplay that'll keep you coming back for more. So guys, We've got three stages already completed for Henshin Engine. We've got five more stages we want to throw in there, and we need your help. But you've already heard me talk way too much about this game, so why don't we go ahead and hear what other people have to say about Henshin Engine. I think the game is awesome. Uh, it brings back uh, the old retro feel of uh, video games. I just thought it was an amazing game. I like that it feels like a classic like Mega Man 2 kind of style game. Uh, simple controls, but still extremely hard to do. It had the right speed, you know, when you play uh, a lot of times you play 16-bit game. And when it's a homebrew, a lot of people don't have that speed, that Mega Man, that Super Mario that you're looking for. game had that on point. I mean, it's a side-scroller with pixel-like graphics, uh, like Super Mario World 3 kind of stuff. It's got a, it's got a manga feel, like you're playing through a, like a, playing through a comic book, you know? But at the same time, it's its own style. It's not too cheesy. You're back to classic enemies where you're just facing, you know, things that move left, right, things that fly around, and they're tough as hell. Kind of like Ninja Gaiden, uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, very uh, difficult, but not unfair. The music was addicting me, like if I was actually the girl fighting things. Here, when you support homebrew stuff, you kind of see Kickstarters. You support an artist who's trying something new. Something new gets a little bit of light going. Next thing you know, he creates his own thing. He creates his own movement. I think it should definitely be supported. You know, it's uh, it's something simple. You know, we don't. There's so many things that are complicated and that you know get delayed these days, and they overcomplicate. You know, this is a simple game that you can go back to and just enjoy. And, you know, it's something I'd pay for definitely. Okay, guys. So there you have it. You've seen what Henshin Engine looks like. You've heard what other people had to say about it. So why don't you go ahead and pick a reward? Tell your friends. 
share it, help us get across that finish line and get that retro game that you've always wanted to play. Thank you. Don't forget to spread the word. <laughs> Support Henshin Engine on Kickstarter today. If you love toys like me, you hang on to certain memories. Like the time you got the turtle blimp for your birthday five minutes before you had to go to school and spent the entire day daydreaming about the ways in which your heroes in a half shell were going to destroy the Foot Clan from above. Or opening all your Christmas gifts, waiting to get Egon to complete your set of Ghostbusters, only to never find it until your grandparents surprise you with it as your very last present. In addition to the happy memories, there are many of us that knew our childhood show so well and were fortunate enough to have a lot of the toys that we were often disappointed when there was no action figure for a certain character. Lizard Man from Masters of the Universe is the first to pop in my mind, who only now, thanks to another run of He-Man toys, was finally crafted and made available. Nowadays, things are different. Thanks to changes in technology, passion, and dedication to many brands and styles, the sourcing of diverse materials, and fan communities, you can still find action figures under your Christmas tree from your favorite childhood shows, or you can have that character that was never made before thanks to some super talented people, one of which is my guest today. From Truth and Consequences, via Death Valley, en route to Parts Unknown, I welcome Mr. Joe Amato. Hey, Joe. How you doing, Rob? Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, this is such a pleasure. You and I don't get to talk enough. I see you post a lot of great images on Facebook, and uh, every time it, it stops me in my tracks for all the good reasons. Before I even dive into some of the stuff that I get to see that you post online that other people might not know yet, why don't you tell us about yourself and what you do? Because I, I think it's fantastic. And ever since I met you, man, it's like, I need to work with this guy more. And now we've finally taken one step, and we'll get to that later. But tell us about yourself and what you do okay well my name is joe amato um and my full-time job is making custom action figures or sculpting some things completely from scratch but you know because like with a custom action figure you add on to existing bodies so i do that i'll do things from scratch but it, it's my full-time job and i specialize in masters of the universe because that's my really big passion but i'll i'll make absolutely anything and it's it's something i've been doing for probably maybe almost seven years and what's funny is this was nothing I ever did, you know, as, you know, growing up, I never went to school to make customs or do anything. I, I just have always worked kind of basically factory jobs. And, and when that place kind of went under where I was at for 10 years, um, I would always look for masters of the universe stuff. And one time I seen somebody selling a custom of something and I was like, you know, I've never done this type of stuff, but I'd love to give it a shot. So the first thing I ever made was a custom imp from uh, Princess of Power. That's Hordak's little, you know, sidekick imp. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I made him, and it, it was very crude looking. He was very crude looking, but um, I put it up on, you know, eBay, and I think it sold for about 70 bucks. That was the first thing I ever did. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I think I should really try to take this seriously now. Because after seeing somebody else doing customs and me trying it, I knew, my God, there's hundreds and hundreds of characters from that cartoon and mini comics that were never made in vintage form. So I really took it seriously. And I've just, like I said, everything is self-taught and I've just, and I still am improving. You know, I, I got to keep improving. You, you never really think you 
absolutely know everything when you're doing, you know, any job. But I keep trying different little techniques, but I've gotten, you know, better and better. And and like I said, it's now it's it's my full time job and I'll do everything from making the figures to making the card backs. That was a giant quest. I think actually making the card backs for the figures was harder than making the figures themselves because I must have spent three months just searching for a particular type of card back, the type of printing, you know, uh, paper to use form inks and, and cutting them down. I mean, it's, you know, since I'm not doing this, I'm not manufacturing anything. Mm-hmm. It's all out of my house. So having to get a big industrial cutter to cut down all the cardboard to size and, you know, reaming around the punches, you know, the corners and stuff. So, yeah, it's like I said, it's a blast. This is the best job I've ever had because I get to encounter and talk with so many great people and with ideas I can never picture of things when they have me do something for a commission. So I just want everybody that's listening to take three seconds and just realize that Joe makes custom action figures and that's his full-time job. Just stop and think about that. Okay, is that not maybe the best job ever? <laughs> I think it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just love it. Uh, and to give some backstory for people that are listening, Joe uh, is working with me and the crew from Power of Grayskull. One of the Kickstarter rewards we had was to forge your own Eternian legacy uh, in which you could have your likeness or a, a custom character of your choosing uh, basically as an action figure. So if you wanted to see yourself in that He-Man universe, Joe would work with you to do that. And just before we started recording, we heard about one of the action figures that's being created from one of our backers. And I got to tell you, it is so cool. It's very inventive. And Joe doesn't just stop at just the figure and the look. He's also going to help craft a little story for how that character fits into the universe on the on the back of the card. It's it's just so awesome, man. Um, I got. I mean, let's start from the basics. What is it about action figures that gets you excited? You know, that's it, it's weird how things can come full circle. I mean, when I was younger, obviously, I I loved Masters of the Universe. It's what I collected. That was a passion of mine. And of course, when you know, we get older, you quit playing with your figures, and I stored them all away. Well, well, and, we're supposed to stop playing with our figures at some time. Well, you know, what's weird is you know when you were a kid back in the the eighties, I guess if you want to say. You know, you're, well, you get picked on. Like, why are you playing with toys still? You know, you should be playing with toys, you know. And, but nowadays, I notice it doesn't matter. People of all ages, from the young, you know, young to old, they're collecting figures now. And it's like, nobody cares. Like, when you have something you really love, it's it's a passion. And it seems like it, it doesn't matter, at least nowadays. Like, even for video games. You know, back then, you played too many video games. You're a dork. You're a geek. You're a nerd. And now it's like you're weird if you don't play games. It's it's just bizarre how times have changed. But the, it's I can't even explain. I think it was when that new uh, MYP cartoon came out at the beginning of you know around the 2000s for you know, for He Man for He I'm sorry for He Man yes when that came back on that started the spark and I started collecting again and and from there then it just I don't know like I said after. That one place I worked went out of business. It just it seemed like only natural. It's like I want to try something, and it's weird that it, I'm now doing this full time. I mean, Masters brought me into it, but something about I don't know. Just you know, everybody has things they collect, whether it's you know sports memorabilia, you know memorabilia, you know footballs and autographs and trading cards to figures and whatever. We have something we love, and I just I really love watching the passion from action figure collectors. 
I mean, I've seen so many collections from Marvel, DC, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, you know, whatever you can think of. Mm-hmm. And people are proud to display all their collections. But you're right when you say that, you know, this job that I do, I never dreamed it. I never thought it because I didn't do this kind of creations when I was a kid. It is the best job I've ever had because I'm loving what I do. You know, sometimes people might have a job and, hey, I mean, I understand you got to pay the bills, but they might really hate their job. But I mean, I love my job. I love it. And it's paying the bills. But it's like I said, it is. It's just so great because I've met so many awesome people, including you, just because of what I'm doing now. Let's go to the flip side of that. Then what do you think? What do you think it is about action figures that gets other people excited? I mean, you're making them now, so I think you've kind of crossed that line. I, I'm sure you still love them, and we'll talk about some of the, the new stuff that's come out and get your thoughts on that. But why do other people still get excited about having and owning an action figure and buying it and pulling it off either the peg or seeing it in a store? Like, What is it about this this medium, this this look, this, this, this toy? I think it's a... Uh... A reminder of our childhood when things were fun and simple and just you could enjoy life. And it's like feeding into your childhood again, possibly. That's that's how I could see it. You know, they just they love seeing the things that they grew up with. And if there's a particular cult character they really like and collecting every one of those certain characters and figures ahead and just, you know, again, displaying them. But I think it has to tie into good memories. You know, I mean, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the world, and maybe even as an adult, you might just be unhappy with stuff. But, hey, you can always remember when you were a kid and you enjoyed these figures, and they love displaying them and posing them in different, you know, I mean, we'll put them in different poses. And I think that's that's what it has to be, you know, and, and you'll see some people that, well, some people really get into the figures to where they like, you know, when I'm talking about posing, the extra articulation, you know, some figures might have very limited articulation and that might actually turn off some of the collectors. They want it to where they could pose their favorite character in any way, you know, just like if they'd see it in a cartoon or a movie, you know, or comics. Right. Yeah. And like I said, I think that's it. I think it has to be just it's a it's a piece of your childhood, and you just remembered something fun, and you love it. And, and what's wrong with that? Yeah, it, it's a question that I always come back to, and of course, you know, filming Power of Grayskull, it's, you know, we talk about the toys a lot from all the different eras, and, you know, what makes some more memorable than others, and why do they stand out, and, and I definitely think there's a, a nostalgic touch touchstone there, so when you touch it, you feel like you're, you know, you're transported back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I also think it. I think when I I look at my action figures and I see them on the shelf, and it's just like that's a reminder of that universe and that character and all that story that plays out. Sure. So as my life goes on and I see these things, it's like, well, what does that story mean to me now? Which is why I always rearrange my collections a little bit. The display always changes, so I get like a different, fresh perspective on it. Okay. I don't. I don't know. I know a lot of a lot of collectors really like to just leave that museum thing out there. But I really like playing with how these displays come across. So, yeah, those those are all interesting things, that, that childhood callback. Sure, sure, because, like, for an example, you know, when the Masters of the Universe Classics figures came out, you know, for the first time, I mean, it was fantastic again because, you know, finally new He-Man figures. I mean, they look fantastic. They have a lot of posability. And, you know, of course, I loved them. But what's strange is recently Super 7, you know, they've acquired the rights to start doing all the Masters of the Universe stuff from now three and three-quarter lines, vintage-style figures, and, of course, taking over classics. Well, they had some special exclusive figures at San Diego Comic-Con, and also they then sold them on their website. 
Yeah. And they're based off of uh, that cartoon Curse of the Three Terrors. Mm-hmm. And these versions um, are just glow in the dark. So I'm sure eventually they'll release painted versions. But these special glow in the dark ones, well, I was able to order them off their website. And I just got them, I think it was maybe two weeks ago. And what's weird, Rob, is I got more excited opening these than the classics. Now, I know the classics are a lot more detailed and a lot more articulation, but I got that. It's what you were just, you know, we're saying. I got that childhood feeling. I was like, I felt like I got something from the store when I was a kid. And it was just that it's very simple. Arms move, legs move, waist move, head. That's it. But I don't know about that packaging, that look. It just struck a chord in me that I didn't get with the classics. And I really love that feeling that Super 7 gave me with those Curse of the Three Terror figures. So for everybody that, that's probably lost as Joe and I tumble down the, the He-Man Eternian nostalgic superfan timeline here, the, t- the corridor of time, um, right. Mattel released a new line called Masters of the Universe Classics, which looked to go back and tackle all of our favorite He-Man figures from the 80s and beyond with one figure a month uh, initially. Uh, and basically go out and conquer. Now, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. That scale is a little bit bigger than the original, and yes. they managed to release all the initial figures plus a bunch more that were never released. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Uh, I mean, they they yeah they released basically every figure that was ever made back then, not including what were called the meteorbs. Unfortunately, they weren't uh, re-released. But yeah, they re-released every basic figure that you could think of, and and then some from like the mini comics and cartoons and a lot of other media that they never made back then for Masters of the Universe. So yeah, the classics, it's the biggest line they've ever done so far, you know, quantity wise. Yes. And now another company called Super 7 initially, well now has taken over classics from Mattel and they're still working with Four Horsemen. Yes. But they initially released three and three quarters. So think your G.I. Joe, your original Star Wars size thing from the original trilogy on card backs. And they, they did a set of four and now a, a new recent set of four uh, or wave two, if you will, uh, of figures are out on those. So there's a lot happening now when it comes to retro packaging and going back at all of these old lines and they're bringing them back to the public. Yeah, what do you think about that, those three and three quarters while we're just talking about it for from Super 7? Yeah, I actually think they're pretty cool because what's funny is Masters fans never had anything like that. And it always used to be a hypothetical thinking, what would our you know property look like in that style? Like you said, Star Wars, G.I. Joe. Yeah. You know, yeah, and some fans, they were like, eh, you know, like a little iffy about it. But others, they really got into it. And I think most people or most Masters fans really did enjoy it. I mean, my God, they even did Masters muscle-style figures. You remember the little muscle wrestlers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they even did those with Masters. So, I mean, yeah, they've done so – like I said, they, they're doing so many different things. Super 7 is giving you absolutely everything that any fan of action figures, if you like something, they pretty much seem like they're going to please that group of people. And, of course, if you're just a psychotic fan who wants it all like me, sometimes you're going <laughs> to get it all because – uh, you know, besides Masters of the Universe, the only other thing I really collect was horror figures, and in, in particular was Jason Voorhees. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to say that my childhood heroes, the people I loved the most, was He-Man and Jason. I don't know how that makes sense, but so I collect everything Jason Voorhees you could think of figure-wise. So for everybody keeping track, uh, in terms of He-Man, 
There's Masters of the Universe Classics, which are new, which are kind of callbacks and throwbacks to the original figures from the 80s. There's Super 7's three and three-quarter inch line, again, that G.I. Joe look, that Star Wars look. And now, what Joe was talking about, The Curse of the Three Terrors, which is a new cartoon produced by Super 7 that looks more or less like the original filmation cartoon that came out in the 80s for He-Man. And now they've produced action figures from that cartoon that match with the original line. So it's not a callback. It's not a variation on what a different scale of figures could be. Uh, we're talking about something that comes from that era or, or is supposed to look like that era, tooled the same way, packaged the same way, same bubble, same background, and new figures for the first time. Right. I mean, they fit in perfectly. They're the five and a half inch ones. I mean, it sounds like they would like to even continue a lot of, I mean, beyond newer stuff, there was a lot of prototypes back then for Masters of the Universe that were never made. Like right. Hero, El- yeah, Hero and Eldor, they were never made in that size, five and a half. So I'm sure demand being enough, they'll make them. Now, what the only thing different with the Curse of the Three Terror figures is, they didn't have like a mini comic or anything like that, like the original 80s He-Man figures had. Right. I think that would be a good thing to do because it dazzles up the package. Plus, it's cool to have a unique little story with your figure, but it, that's the one different thing about their bubble, believe it or not. I mean, I actually mentioned this um, the other day. Their bubble that covers the figure is slightly different, meaning it doesn't have the raised up part to where a mini comic would go. So they yeah, so they designed the bubble slightly different, but otherwise it's the exact same basic outer design. So I'm gonna give them a pass on the comic, and here's why. Okay, we got a we got a cartoon. We got like a brand new cartoon, and I think that makes up for not getting that comic with that figure at least on this wave. If if they reissue them and they're normal paint, and then they want to put a comic with those ones, I mean, not only will collectors go nuts. But I think that's a cool introduction for people that maybe hadn't seen the cartoon and they'll read it and then they'll go check out the cartoon after. And I mean, you're right. I was thinking the exact same thing. Those exclusive, you know, exclusive ones. Sure, those would be different. But if they were to make them painted, yeah, if they made a cool little mini comic and just put it in there. I mean, it like I said, again, gives us flashes of what we remembered when we were kids. Plus, it's cool to have a mini comic. And it's not like they would have to make four new stories for those four figures, just like they did with some of the other vintage. Just pack the same mini comic with each one, but hey, like again, for men on card collectors, it looks cool, and for people to open, hey, uh, well, you got four of the same comic, but it'd still be cool. <laughs> they could always do a variation on the cover for each of them, maybe that focuses on the character it's packaged with, and then keep the content yeah. the same. They could I do could. that, yeah, exactly. For the entire interview with Joe, check out this and all the other episodes of The Trenches on the Rob McCallum Films YouTube page. And for more info on Joe's work, Head on over to Joe Amato Custom Creations on Facebook today. Up next, Sal from Mario Party Wars stops by with what's hot in board games right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Game Source is your number one source for everything video games. Each week we bring you the best of the video gaming world from sites all over the internet. Like us today on Facebook or follow us today at GameSource and you'll stay up with the latest in information and news, plus also about all the great things we're doing on our GameSource Facebook, Twitter, and GameSource YouTube pages. Stay up to date with the video gaming world right here at GameSource. 
We are back again. It's Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. This is Gerald Glassford with Game Source and Pop Culture Cosmos. On the line right now, it is the president and CEO of Mario Party Wars. He is Salvador Villa. How are you, hey, my everyone? Friend? I'm good, Gerald. Hectic now, school and everything, but overall, it's been great. Now, I will let you explain to everyone out there. I've tried to explain over the past couple episodes of whatnot, what Mario Party Wars is all about and why people should go ahead and follow you guys. But I'm, at the very end, I'm going to let you guys go into detail about just exactly what Mario Party Wars is all about. But I wanted to talk to you more since you are also a expert on the rise of board gaming. Because board gaming in recent years has skyrocketed as far as to become a major part of pop culture. And it is no longer just those years where everybody just bought a Risk, a Monopoly, a Parcheesi, a Yahtzee, and then that was it. It is something now that's branched out into all levels of, of, uh, as far as explosion in retail shelves, even beyond uh, what what I played as far as Dungeons & Dragons as well, uh, moving in beyond that. I'd like you to explain more to everyone out there just what is available on the market, and some are your choices as far as the best that board gaming has to offer right now. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, board games have been around for a really long time. Uh, like, I there's one, there's a really good store here in uh, Las Vegas known as Meepleville, and so if you ever get the chance to and you want to buy board games, I recommend that store like as probably the top one to go to. But uh, yeah, board games have been around probably, I would say, anywhere between the 1920s to the 1960s when they first started. And I mean, there were a lot of unique games back then, mostly relating to stuff about war, as I found out, because they they actually, uh, Meepo has a really interesting uh, historical shelf of games that were made back then. Uh, but then it got, you know, to more stuff like Monopoly and Yahtzee and some of the more classic games that families could buy and families could, like, have fun uh, playing with. Um, and it was just something more, you either played it or you didn't because it wasn't really something that anyone considered popular or mainstream. No one was going to really advertise it um, unless you actually were, like, a part of that circle. Uh, but over, I would say, within the last decade, it's definitely been around that around this time that uh, board games really started to get popular, specifically with the help of the popular uh, YouTube and now an actual more of a community, uh, Geek, Geek and Sundry, with their show Tabletop, uh, starring Will Wheaton. It was around that time when they when their popularity began with that show that all of a sudden board games really started to like uh, become more of a mainstream thing. Um, Retailers like Target and eventually like Walmart and Amazon started uh, coming to the way, getting their own uh, shelves to provide uh, games like Pandemic, uh, Munchkin, what other games? A, couple, a variety of other games. And so now t- board games has become like a new phenomenon of a new type of like nerding geek community. I guess, well, not really, I would say a nerding community, but just a community on its own that everyone you know can enjoy and have fun uh conventions are pretty much taking advantage of board games now so and there's a lot of different tournaments uh for specific games that are around i just uh i read uh, as far as it's and studied closely 
the recent convention, the major uh, board gaming convention in Indianapolis recently, Gen Con. Yeah, uh, it's that's probably one of the oldest tabletop conventions around, actually. And and just to see the the array of of board games that are coming to consumers um, very shortly, and also the board games that are there that are the most popular that people are into that consumers are into. It's just, it is now a huge market once again for board games. I'm just, it's become so fascinating. When I go and research as far as providing customers of that follow us on our uh, Pop Culture Cosmos site, because one of the things we like to do is research all aspects of pop mm-hmm. culture. I've seen as far as the news, the updates, and the sites that that make available articles on upcoming games and I'm just fascinated, just fascinated to see the the array of different uh, genres, of different themes, of different entities that have now entered the board gaming scene. Obviously, you know, like I said, Dungeons and Dragons, as far as is concerned, is is well known as far as in that type, in that genre. But there's so mm-hmm. much more, like you like you were mentioning, but also stuff like st- such an array of Star Wars board games and and Star Trek board gaming and. And things in genres and 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 familiar titles that that people, if they're they're worried about it or they're not sure about where to go to, that makes them more comfortable and will allow them to be able to get into board gaming that much sooner. Your thoughts? Oh yeah, yeah. Like you said, uh, Dungeons and Dragons probably is one of the most well-known uh, st- types of tabletop games that have been around for uh, decades now. Uh, but it's become so much more than that now. Uh, and that specifically is a type of uh, board game style gameplay that not that many people can get into because it requires a lot of dedication, a lot of hours to create the story, a lot of a uh, couple of hours to create your character. Um, so it's become something much more than that now. Now you actually have games like even that families can play, like it's no longer just Monopoly and Yahtzee. Um, I can actually show a few myself that I have in my bag so you have so, some examples here today with us that we appreciate you taking the time to do that what are some of the examples that you have so actually i have one right here called uh welcome to the dungeon uh this is made by yellow games which is actually one of my favorite uh tabletop companies especially if you're uh, more of a family type of person who and enjoys playing with your family they have pretty much some of the best games families can play because they're very short and simple. They're very easy to learn and it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to like get into it because you can use your, uh, your, your, your imagination for it. And basically what you do in this is you're, you all act as a warrior and you're trying to face monsters and you basically add monsters to a, a deck pile that you're going to be forced to face uh, or someone is and you start removing equipment because there's a set equipment for uh, there's four different classes you can choose from. And when you, someone is forced to actually play against that monster, they better make sure they have enough equipment on them because if not, well, you lose and then the other player wins. But it's a fairly simple game. It takes no longer than 30 minutes and each round is like three to five minutes at most. Um, but that's that's one. It's like it's just a very simple game. Anyone can play. You even your kids can play it. And then we have something a little more complicated. But if honestly, my kids play it, I know they're not going to stop. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> not being a warrior? Not at all. Uh, and then we have something more complicated like this uh, called Tales of the Arabian Nights. 
that's by Z-Man Games, which is also the creator of Pandemic. And that one, it's, it's a storytelling game. You go around the board uh, exploring the vast world of Tales of the Arabian Nights. And it actually has a, a giant story filled with different scenarios um, that you actually play out. And you make decisions based on what the story uh, leads you into. So you can come to good fortune and find magical abilities or different traits or something. Or uh, you'll get like a burglar and he'll probably break your leg or something and then you're going to be injured. With my luck, that would happen to me. I can assure you right now that would definitely happen to me. Before I let you go, I got to ask, Mario Party Wars, I've mentioned it on the air each and every week right here on Pop Culture Cosmos. Tell us a little more since you are the man behind Mario Party Wars about the great team that you have and also exactly what Mario Party Wars is all about. Well, first off, I'd like to at least thank you for uh, your support and always uh, giving us shout outs and everything. We definitely enjoy that from you guys. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, Mario Party Wars is a, at, at the moment, it's a student gaming organization and we have two main uh, goals. The first one is what makes us stand out. It's our Mario Party tournament. So if you enjoy Mario Party, you play against other players um, through a series of 10 rounds, and each one will have its own gimmick or not a gimmick at all, depending on what we're doing. And if you can qualify, we have the top nine during the summer, reach the semifinals in June, and then the top four in the finals in July, uh, where you can win cash prizes and other cool stuff. Currently, the winner gets $250, and we're hoping to definitely increase that amount uh, next year uh, for sure with the way things are going so far. But besides that, we are also all, for the most part, nerds and geeks uh, at Mario Party Wars. We, we like the culture there, whether it's sci-fi or anime or movies, comics, whatever you name it. We all have a lot of uh, similar interests in those areas, and so we promote that and try to build our own community um, out of those interests, and then we host a variety of different events that cater to those interests uh, and can vary from we've hosted concerts in the past, we've hosted uh, stuff like International Tabletop Day for March, uh, we've done large-scale game nights, uh, among other things, and then we're always like giving away prizes, we're always trying to come up with new ideas to either give back to the community or just how to better ourselves and become a better community as a whole. And so we're, we're really proud of what we do. Uh, all of our hard work always pays off. We always get so much support from everyone. Well, that's great to hear, my friend. And I know Mario Party Wars has always embraced uh, me, whether it's Game Source or Pop Culture Cosmos. You guys have always been supportive. You, Larna, Yelthin, and the entire crew has been just a tremendous help as far as helping get pop culture cosmos off the ground and here each week right here on the podcast radio network and also as well pop culture cosmos at wordpress.com uh just just appreciate what you what you're doing for us how can people interested get a hold of more of mario party wars well, for anyone interested in finding out more about us, you can uh, check out our website, our Google website. Uh, so just type in Mario Party Wars on Google. It will literally come up. We actually come up very easily now. 
but you can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we do live streams actually on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Uh, currently, my VP is playing Super Mario Sunshine for Wednesday, and on Thursdays they do first-person shooters. So at the moment, they're playing like Overwatch and Halo. So yeah. Oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. Uh, but yeah, I'll, you can pretty much find us on any social media medium. Almost. And, and they're, they're on Twitch, right? Correct on your Twitch yeah, channel. Yeah, Twitch, and then we upload them on YouTube. Sweet. So you are guys are connected indeed. So once again, that is Mario Party Wars. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. Again, Sal, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and hopefully you'll be able to come back on many more times, giving us the latest exactly on the board gaming scene. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your time. We'll be right back to close the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey, everyone. If you are looking for the latest news in movies, TV, video games, sci-fi, comic books, pro wrestling, technology, esports, and more, look no further than Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter. Each week we provide hundreds of stories across the internet, bringing you closer to the latest news and information in the pop culture world. Stop by, and while you're there, like us and follow us today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. And we're back. Once again, this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. We appreciate you you watching and tuning in, you listening and tuning in. Again, on the Podcast Radio Network, iTunes, and Podcast.com. I'm here with my good friend, Doug. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Douglas Hoyabu. Tell us a little bit more about Retro City Games, but also more, a little bit more about Box Art, the docu-series. So uh, Retro City Games is a, uh, it's a game store that myself and uh, Nicole, my girlfriend, uh, own here in Henderson, Nevada. Um, we deal in everything the, from retro to new school gaming, collectibles, figures. Uh, we do game nights. We're coming up on our two-year anniversary. Um, that will have been, when this airs, it'll be two days prior. So yes. the, the 24th when we're doing the party. Um, for that, big game night, tons of games, food, prizes, giveaways. All that type of fun stuff. Um, we are working on a project with Rob McCallum uh, from Nintendo Quest, Missing Mom, Howard Grayskull. Um, we're working on Box Art, the documentary, uh, the definitive look at Box Art and now, you know, the well, history you, of that. You do want to make sure that you always say the award-winning. Oh, the yes, award-winning Missing Mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. Get Rob, I get mad. I don't want Rob <laughs> to get mad at you because you, you know he obviously you're a producer working on the project. But I know half my feet is just awards the Missing Mom as well. Like, exactly. He's he's he's. Uh, it, Getting so many awards, and we're just so happy for him, as far as it's concerned, for his newest uh, film that's been released. Well, actually, it's been released to the public, but it's going to Film Fest all over the world. And I mean all over the world. It's Missing Mom. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously a labor of love for him, but it's proving to be quite, quite the movie that's getting a lot of acclaim. I reviewed it. Uh, if you want to check out what a little bit of what a missing mom is about go to popculturecosmos.wordpress.com because there is a review that I did because I've actually been blessed to actually see the movie you've been blessed enough to see the movie as well because I feel like we're too like we, we know this we've, we, we've seen already this, this this golden nugget which you want to show to the world but it's it's not yet quite as available as it will be but it's you know what what is being seen and, and the people who are seeing it are, are praising it indeed it's an excellent film it's it's definitely a uh, it, it's a great story and it's also touching and it's, it's so just real I, I know that I know that sounds very simplistic in, in the way it's said but it's, it's just it's just a real story 
Absolutely. And it shows. And and just like from, you know, people will be familiar with his other work, Nintendo Quest and Nintendo Quest Power Tour, which might have some people we know on it. But uh, those two were just outstanding projects, and Missing Mom is, is falling in line with that indeed. He's also working on the He-Man documentary as well. Um, but the one I want to talk about before we go off the air is the docuseries Box Art, which you are definitely, and Nicole is definitely a, a great part of, Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, we're, Nicole and I are producers on Box Art. Um, we are doing a, like I said before, a definitive look at the history of video game box art. Um, everything from the form factor in why boxes. I mean, why why don't we have clamshell design? Why don't we, you know, have blister packs like every other medium at that time? You know, toys and figures and that. It was why easy. didn't it just all come in CD cases like it did for PC games at it for a time? Exactly, and so and for PlayStation. And the artists behind that work, artists weren't allowed to sign their work. So for years, you know, iconic things like the original Metal Gear, there was no there. He wasn't allowed to sign his work. So these iconic covers, Mega Man, you know, all these things, it was just kind of not lost to time, but no one, even the people who were asking the questions, there were no answers. There was no one to go to. And um, we spent the better part of the last six months to a year hunting down a lot of those people and uh, recently been doing interviews with them, talking to them about that process. And so you're getting a lot of great stories. Oh, yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of original artwork we've gotten the pleasure to see and a lot of, you know, firsthand accounts of this is how the industry was. This is why I did that. This is why the art is the way it is. This is why I even did the project. I mean, some people, you know, video games weren't what they are today. They weren't ingrained in, in culture. So it was one of those things for a lot of these guys it was another project. And so what made them do that game over not doing it or doing a different game instead? Exactly. And it, a lot of great stories, a lot of things that even I, as, as involved in this, uh, as in retro games as I am, I had no idea a lot of this stuff. And a lot of things that were speculation coming to light as fact. <laughs> and, and you can find out more about not only Box Art, the docuseries, but all of Rob's projects yep. at robmccallumfilms.com. He keeps everyone updated on exactly what's going on with all of his, his properties. And also he gives you the chance, if it's available for sale, as in the case of Nintendo Quest and the Nintendo Quest Power Tour with you know, guest appearances uh, from us, um, that's a, you know he tells you exactly how you can either watch it via, via digital download, Blu-ray, and DVD. So it's all right there at robmccallumfilms.com. So I think that's going to do it for another episode of Pop Culture Cosmos. Uh, Doug, any last things that you want to say as far as to the fans out there of Pop Culture Cosmos? Put me on the spot. No, I'm exactly. Joking. No, well, that was um, <laughs> that was last week. That was last week. <laughs> oh yeah, it was. I had a major brain fart last week. No, um, everybody just have fun gaming. I mean, I hope you join us next week and, and check out all the great content we've been coming out with. If you have any comments or anything you'd like to see on the show, anyone you'd like us to reach out to to talk to, um, between the group of us, we have a pretty decent amount of uh, people in the industry that we can at least you know try to reach out to. Exactly. If there's anything you guys want to see on the show, let us know. Either at the Retro City Games Facebook page, the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter, uh, or Game Source on Facebook as well. Uh, we just send that message to us. Yep. Um, we're glad to go ahead and, and be able to, to do what we can to provide you, the listener and the viewer out there, with as much as possible information, news, and actually just fun and good times right yep. here on Pop Culture Cosmos. And even if you want to email us, if you're still into the email, <laughs> you can still get, get a hold of us at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. So for uh, Douglas Hoyabu. This is Gerald Glassford. 
Once again, we're both from Pop Culture Cosmos. He's also from Retro City Games. It's been a pleasure. Again, we do the show Likewise. as much as we can here from, from Retro City Games, and we are truly blessed and honored to do so. We truly appreciate you being a part and of the Pop Culture Cosmos experience. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. It's another beautiful, beautiful day in paradise. And you have yourself a great...